five times in Revelations chapter 4 and 5, Jesus Christ is described as worthy. Anybody believe that the Lord Jesus Christ is worthy of all the praise and the glory that we could give to him? So one more time, would you lift up your hands and just love the Lord. Let him know how much you love him. God, you have been so good to us. You have blessed us abundantly. Thank you for your presence in this house. In the name of Jesus Christ, I love you, mighty God. I love you. I thank you in the name of the Lord. What a privilege it has been to be here this weekend with Brother and Sister Phillips. We have had the time of our life. Amen. And uh, my wife, probably Sister Phillips, would get in trouble if my wife spent too much time with her. She's... My wife, I've said that we taught a marriage seminar last week. It's the first time we'd ever taught one. I told, I told that my wife was five and a half weeks away from not being Sister Dutton. I got within five and a half weeks of marrying another young lady. And uh, I am very thankful. You can believe what you want. But I believe that God designed Eve specifically for Adam. And I don't think it was a coincidence when Eliezer was at the well in Haran that he looked up. The words were still passing through his mouth. Abraham said, I want you to go pick out a bride for my son. Can you imagine that? Boss, if this goes wrong, your son's going to hate me. We need some divine intervention, and the Lord did intervene. Anybody, aren't you thankful for the spouse that God gave you? Amen. 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 Well, that was a little bit off track. What a wonderful presence of the Lord, Brother Phillips. What a great honor to be with you. We love you so much and uh, have come to love you even more. Amen. 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 I do believe the Lord has a word, a specific word for this church tonight. I believe the Holy Ghost wants to encourage you. Amen. I want your hands to be strengthened, your walk with God to be solidified. And just, amen, to leave encouraged in the Holy Ghost. At the opening of Job chapter 1, Job is the wealthiest man in the east. He has many flocks and herds and servants, maids, but within a matter of seconds, you know the story, he learns that he has lost everything. And following that attack on Job's walk with God, then Satan attacks him with boils from the top of his head to the sole of his feet. After hearing about Job's suffering, his three friends came to comfort him. Job chapter 2 verse 11 introduces us 
to Job's three friends. They are Eliaphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite. They made an appointment to come and mourn with Job and to comfort him. But according to verse 12, when they saw him, they didn't even recognize him. So they did everything that someone grieving with a friend in those days would do. They, they wept. They rent their clothing. They sprinkled dust into the air upon their heads. Verse 13, they sat down on the ground with him. And for seven days, Job's friends could say nothing. Absolutely speechless. But when they began to speak, they began to falsely accuse Job and the attacks were vicious. Job later in chapter 16 described his friends as being miserable comforters. You came to comfort me, you're really bad at this. I mean, you're horrible. So let's read. In the last book of Job, chapter 42, verses 7 and 8, it reads like this. And so it was that after the Lord had spoken these words unto Job, the Lord said to Eliaphaz the Temanite, My wrath is kindled against thee and against thy two friends, for you have not spoken of me the thing which is right, as my servant Job has. Therefore take unto you now seven bullocks and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer up for yourselves a burnt offering. And my servant Job shall pray for you, for him I will accept, lest I deal with you after your folly. And then for a second time God said, for ye in that ye have not spoken of me the thing which is right like my servant Job. In verses 7 and 8, God told Eliaphaz, you have not talked about me correctly. You've said things about me that were not right. My question tonight is what did Eliaphaz get wrong about God. Just for the record, he wasn't wrong in everything that he said. In chapter 4, he talked about the law of sowing and reaping. I love preaching about the law of sowing and reaping. In chapter 5, Eliaphaz said, Happy is the man that the Lord, whom the Lord corrects. This theme is found throughout the Word of God. But someplace in the book of Job, Eliaphaz was wrong about God. And that's my title tonight. Eliaphaz, you were wrong about God. Would you lift, I need the, I need the anointing of the Holy Ghost. Would you lift up your hands and let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray a blessing through your word upon this church. Strengthen the hands of your people. 
God, I pray, I pray that you would uplift and encourage in the Holy Ghost through the Word of God. I'm asking in the name of Jesus Christ, I thank you for this pastor, his family, strength and bless. His family, I pray, his finances. God bless, brother and sister Phillips. We love you, God. God, I pray that you would give great revival to this church in the name of Jesus Christ for the glory and honor of your holy name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Lift up your voice. Shout unto the Lord with the voice of triumph. Heavenly Father, we love you. Mighty God, we love you. We love you. We love you. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I love you, mighty God. I love you, mighty God. I love you, mighty God. In Jesus' name, you can be seated. God bless you. The story of Job. I told my son when he first started preaching, I said, you know, there are more stories in the Bible than just the book of Job. We preach about it a lot. Amen. But it's familiar. Job was a very wealthy man that feared God. Nevertheless, his, his life takes a tragic twist following a conversation between Satan and God. God asked Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Job is the gold. Satan, Job is the gold standard for all humanity. There's nobody like Job on the earth. Then God described Job as perfect and upright. He's one that fears God and he hates evil. Satan responded, Job, Job doesn't serve you for nothing. Job doesn't fear you for nothing. There's a hedge about him and about his house and everything that he has, top to bottom, side to side, front to back, there's a hedge about him. Of course he's going to serve you. Your, your protection on Job's life is impenetrable. You've blessed the works of his hands. His substance is increased in the land. Your, your blessings are undeniable. So yes, to answer your question, I have considered Job very carefully. But I'll tell you what, if you will put forth your hand and touch all that he has, he'll curse you to your face. Job is just serving you for the money and the blessing. To this God said, no, 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 I no, 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 Job Trust me. So I'll tell you what, Satan. All that Job has is in your power. Only don't touch Job. And so Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. He was excited. He was delighted. This was the opportunity that he had looked for. What happens next is unthinkable. The devil's carefully devised plan was unleashed in a moment's time, subtracting all of his wealth. You talk about getting blindsided. Talk about a blitz attack. Four servants arrive back to back to back to back with the horrendous news. The first servant delivered the bad news about Job's 500 
yoke of oxen, yoke being two, 1,000 oxen were taken by the Sabians. Just for the record, there was also 500 donkeys uh, taken by the Sabians. Just for the record, in today's market, 500 yoke of oxen and 500 sheasses would be someplace between a half a million and $750,000. I had a couple other men look this up for me. Tell me, uh, and, and this, this is what they came up with, we came up with. The first servant was still speaking when the next servant was lining up to deliver more bad news. The second servant told Job about the fire of God that had consumed Job's sheep. Sheep in today's market go anywhere from 250 to 500 dollars a piece for a purebred. If you multiply that by 7,000, you're, you're in the neighborhood of two million dollars. Amen. And so while the second servant was still speaking, the third servant was arriving to tell about Job's camels being taken by the Chaldeans. A camel in Saudi Arabia today will go anywhere from 10000 to 25000 dollars. I find that staggering. You can buy a good used car for less than that. Times 3,000 camel, that's the vicinity of about $30 million. When the Bible says that Job was a great man with oxen and donkeys and sheep and camels, it wasn't just saying nothing. I'm telling you, he suffered a great, he, Pastor, he suffered a great loss. Before the third servant was finished, the last servant was lining up ready to deliver the gutshot news about Job's children. Forget about Job's flock. Now we're talking about Job's family. Amen. His children. The devastating news came in order of value. When God took down the hedge around Job's life, Satan noticed that the hedge unbelievably had been removed around Job's children. Amen. And so the devil added Job's children into his calamitous assault. One has to wonder. I, I know your pastor is far more of a theologian than I am, but I wonder if the hedge was or was not around Job's wife. The last servant delivers the heart-wrenching news about Job's children. And this is the point in the story that God and Satan had disagreed about. God had said Job's faith is going to stand. Amen. Satan said, no, 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 he's going to curse you to your face. So following this 
devastating news. They watch as Job arose and he rent his mantle. He shaved his head. He fell down on the ground and he worshiped God and said, naked I came out of my mother's womb and naked I'm going to depart. The Lord has given, and Job said, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all of this, Job sinned not nor charged God foolishly. Satan must have shook his head and and said, how? How does a person take this kind of loss and still say, I love you, God? How does a person suffer this kind of devastation news and still say God I trust you I believe in you don't ever underestimate the frustration that you cause the devil by planting your feet in the house of God and just taking a stand and when all hell comes against you and you still get to the house of God and you still get your hands up I'm telling you the devil shakes his head and say how can they do it but you call the enemy of your soul frustration by just you may not be running the aisle you may not be shouting but you're here tonight and you've got your hands up and you're worshiping God and saying I still trust you and I still believe in you we, we like when we preach about that national hero when we talk about David we like to talk about the lion and the bear that he slew man that's for good preaching and certainly facing off with a giant with just a sling and a stone man that who can't get excited about that but if you if you keep reading you're going to find that same hero praying For God to hide me under the shadow of thy wings. I like preaching on a Sunday night. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Amen. But sometimes the best that you can hope for when all hell comes against you, the best that you can hope for is making it to the house of God and just hiding in the shadow of God's wings. Amen. That's when you look for the protection of Almighty God. Hiding doesn't preach very well. Amen. Is putting the devil on the run because because we, we equate hiding to cowardice or, or being afraid. But when you're under attack, it takes just as much courage. You hear me. It takes just as much courage to just stand in the house of God as it does running through a troop and leaving leaping over a wall. Amen. Don't, don't, don't ever feel bad about just making your way. I don't feel like shouting tonight. I don't feel like running tonight. But I'm still here. I'm still in the house of God. I'm still being faithful to God. So in Job chapter 2 again, God asked the same question. Have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him. There's still nobody like him on the earth. He's still perfect. He's upright. And he's still holding fast to his integrity. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, but 
all that a man has will he give for his life. If you'll touch his flesh and bone, he'll curse you to your face. Okay, Job's flesh is in your hand. My protection now on Job is strictly, you can't take his life. Amen. And so Satan departed and smote Job with sore boils from the crown of his head to the sole of his feet. And then Job's wife suggested that he do as Satan had said. Why don't you curse God and die? She used the same phraseology as the devil did. Is it any wonder, amen, that the devil left her alive? At this point, Job's three friends came to comfort him. But so colossal were Job's misfortunes that for seven days they could not speak a word. And at some point, the the silence had to become awkward. So Job broke the silence, lamenting in chapter 3, let the day perish wherein I was born. Let that day be darkness forever. Let the shadow of death stain it. A premature death would have been better than the suffering I'm going through. When Eliaphaz and Bildad and Zophar finally began to speak, that's when the unfounded accusations began. They said, Job, you must have sinned. Job's integrity had been called into question by the devil. God, Job is only serving you because he's profiting out of it. And Job's friends sided with Satan and began bringing their accusations. I think it's interesting that through this story, Satan looked for and he found accomplices that would work with him. Amen. The Sabians were used of the devil. The Chaldeans were a part of his plan. Job's wife encouraged him to curse God and die. Job's friends sided with the devil. And let's not forget Job's God. God never condemned Job's friends for their silence. But when they began to falsely accuse Job, he did. Please know that the devil is the accuser of the brethren and you should never do his job for him. Leave your hands and your tongue off of the people of God. This is the family of God. This is the house of God. This is the apple of God's eye. You support one another. You love one another. You pray for one another. You encourage one another. The Lord declared in Psalms chapter 50, verse 20 and 21, you've spoken against your brother and slandered your mother's son. You've done this, and I kept silence because of my silence. You you thought I was just like you, but I will reprove thee. We know that Job's friends were wrong about Job. They were wrong. They all accused Job. Every one of them accused Job of having sin in his life. Bildad was the first to call Job a hypocrite. But then Eliaphaz and Zophar did the same thing. They they also called Job a hypocrite. 
Zophar called Job a liar in chapter 11, verse 3. And three verses later, he was saying, Job, you've got exactly what you deserved. In fact, you deserve worse. You read it for yourself. You deserve worse than what you've got. Bildad took a cheap shot at Job's deceased children. How low do you have to be to take a shot at someone's children who had just died? Oh, my goodness. But three verses in the book of Job described him as perfect. At the time of his great trial of affliction, Job had perfect standing with God. That tells me that any time you want to find fault with someone, God may view them as being perfect in his sight. But you can always find fault if you look. Or you can find good. Or you can be an encouragement. Or you can lift them up. Or you can pray for them and do what you ought to be doing. Among these men's three worst accusations is Bildad in the last verse of chapter 18 accused Job of not knowing God. It was this accusation that produced Job's great declaration of faith. Job would answer Bildad saying, I know my Redeemer liveth and he shall stand upon the earth in the latter day. And though after my flesh worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh I will see God whom I shall see for myself and my eyes shall behold and not another though my reign be consumed within me. The phrase not another means not a stranger. When I stand before God, I am going to know him and he is going to know me. He is not a stranger to me. I know in whom I believe I know him I trust him I love him the great prize of this life I said it this morning it's knowing God Jeremiah chapter 9 instructs that the wise men don't glory in your wisdom you strong men don't don't glory in your might. Rich men, don't glory in your riches and your wealth and your possessions. But if you're going to glory, glory in the fact that you know God and that he knows you. Job said, I'm going to stand before God and I am going to know him and he is going to know me. Amen. It's the great prize of life. What a tragedy. The tragedy of life is standing before God and him saying depart from me. I never knew you. What you, what we want to hear is for God to say well done my good and faithful servant. We know that Eliaphaz was wrong about Job but the question today is what did Eliaphaz get wrong about God? And I think there's a couple things that you could say. First, Eliaphaz's first mistake was not make an allowance that God could be trying Job's faith. That God could have his hand in all of this. They never considered that. 
Not, not only did Job's friends not make allowance that God orchestrated this time of testing, but they said God, God, doesn't, God doesn't work like this. Eliaphaz said in chapter 4, whoever perished being innocent or where were the righteous cut off? Bildad chimed in in chapter 8, God will not cast away a perfect man. I, I think it's interesting that, that Job's three friends never suspected the devil not once did they say the devil's behind. Not one time did they say the devil's. I, I, I've read through the book of Job probably five times recently. Not one time did they say well, the, the devil's behind all. No, 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 no. They, they didn't even say that God had his finger in all of this. His, his, his hand was, was behind. No, no, no. They, they, they went straight for the juggler, Job's juggler, and began to say, this is your fault. You brought this on yourself. Amen. I'm telling you that both New Testament writers, Peter and James, referred to God trying your faith if God hasn't if God hasn't put you in the oven and tested your faith he's going to amen there's going to be times of testing in your walk with God square your shoulders fall in love with Jesus Christ and just keep on serving God trials and storms test what we're made of it tries our faith sometimes it seems like it goes to the breaking point the second mistake that Job's friends made about God was that Bildad said, chapter 8, verse 6, if you were pure, if you were upright, God would make the place of thy righteousness prosperous. Eliaphaz made the same mistake in chapter 22, verse 25. If you return to the Almighty, you are going to have plenty of silver. They were preaching the ever popular prosperity message when, when what's it been, 40 years ago that the prosperity message came. I mean, it became big time in the United States. The funny thing is that these prosperity preachers, they never went to Africa to preach this. They went to Dallas But the Apostle Paul said it's men of corrupt minds that suppose that gain is godliness. This doctrine would reflect poorly on the righteous, the righteousness of the impoverished. That, 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 that means if you were poor, you must not be very righteous or you're not living for God the way, no, no, the, the way that you the way that you need to. But Romans chapter 15, verse 26, refers to the poor saints, which is at Jerusalem. Have we got any poor saints in here? God has always had a special place in his heart for poor people. So much so that he gave special laws regarding the protection and provision of the poor and impoverished and for all their disadvantages in this life please know that God has chosen the 
poor of this world, rich in faith to be heirs of the kingdom. You can be as poor as a church mouse and have great faith in God. I'm telling you, your money doesn't have nothing to do with your righteousness. The devil made this trial all about Job's wealth. Three consecutive verses in chapter 1. Amen makes mention of the fact, it refers to the phrase, all that he hath, all that Job has. This was, in the devil's eyes, this was all about money and possession. But Job refused to make this episode of his life about his wealth. Someplace Job figured out this has got to be a test. God is trying my faith. And Job admitted that he was just a little confused because I'm going forward and I cannot find God. I'm going backward and I, I cannot perceive him. On my left hand where he normally works, Nothing. On the right hand, I, I, I cannot see him, but he knows, God knows the way that I take and when he has tried me, I'm gonna come forth as gold. I'm gonna come out of this trial with my hands up. I'm gonna come out of this trial worshiping God. I'm gonna stay faithful to God. I trust God. But the biggest miscalculation of Eliabaz was in Job chapter 22. The biggest mistake that he made was in underestimating the value of a righteous man's life to God. In Job chapter 22 verse 3, Eliaphaz asked, is there any pleasure to the Almighty that you are righteous or is it gained to him is it gained to him that you make your ways perfect Eliaphaz was asking Job do you think that God gets any pleasure out of the fact that you're righteous <laughs> I want to answer that question tonight amen in fact in Job chapter 15, Eliaphaz seems to place God's righteousness out of, the, out of the mankind's reach, asking what is man that he should be clean, and he which is born of a woman that he should be righteous. Job, you think God celebrates your righteousness? And the question to that is emphatically, yes, he does. Absolutely. I'm telling every precious saint of God, never buy into the devil's lie that your service in the house of God, your willingness to live godly and righteously and your faithfulness means nothing to God. The psalmist declared in chapter 11, verse 7, the Lord the righteous Lord loves righteousness and his countenance doth behold the upright, the Complete Jewish Bible renders that verse to read for Adonai is righteous. He loves righteousness. The upright will see his faith. Eliaphaz questioned whether Job's righteousness meant anything to God. That question is answered in First Chronicles chapter 29 verse 17. I know 
God that you try the heart and you have pleasure in uprightness. The Bible leaves no doubt that the righteous, those that would live godly are the apple of God's eye. Those that would be obedient to the word of God and submit their life to the will of God. They, they are God's heartbeat. You should see his face when he looks at the apple of his eye. You are the apple of God's Proverbs chapter 11 verse 20 concludes that the upright are God's delight. Eliaphaz, you were wrong about God. You were wrong about Job's righteousness. And you were wrong about how God felt about Job's righteousness. It meant everything to God. This whole book was about Job's righteousness. Living for God. Serving God, loving God, trusting God. He trusts me. The whole book of Job is about. I love you, Lord. Every morning he got up and he sacrificed for himself and for his ten children, lest, lest they had cursed God. Job was a righteous man. The whole point of the book of Job is hinged on one word. It's the word still. God asked Satan for a second time in Job chapter 2, have you considered my servant Job? Satan, you took away his 7,000 sheep and there's still nobody like him on the earth. You took away Job's camels and his oxen and Job's still hates evil, and he still, still fears my name. You took, away, you took away Job's children and afflicted his body head to toe, and he still, still, I told you that he was going to love me. This whole book is about whether he would still love God and he would still do what was right. Job chapter 2, verse 3. You took away his children, you afflicted his body, and still Job holds fast his integrity, although you, watch this, watch this, you moved me against him to destroy him without a cause. It's an incredible thing that Satan could talk the God of glory into how he treated Job how he protected Job but he could not get Job there was nothing he found out that there was nothing that he could do to Job that would cause him to turn on his God he got God he got God's hand against Job but he could not he could not get get Job to turn on God I still believe him I still trust him I'm bankrupt today but he's he's still my God The word still, according to Encarta World Dictionary, is to continue as before. It means from one point to the next that nothing changed. 
Eliaphaz question, is it any pleasure to the Almighty that you're righteous? Eliaphaz, you were wrong about Job being righteous, and you were wrong about how God felt about Job's righteousness. Eliaphaz, you should have heard the, the joy in God's voice when he told the devil Job still is holding fast his integrity. Eliaphaz question, if if you, you really think God has pleasure in your righteousness, you should have beheld the face of God when Job said, though he slay me, yet I'm going to trust him. That meant everything to God. And if it means everything to God, if it meant everything to God when Job said it, it means everything to God when you say it. Amen. When you go through hell and high water and then the enemy comes in like a flood and you still come to the house of God and you get your hands up and praise him. Don't you ever let the devil tell you that you don't mean anything to God. You mean everything to God. Life has, you should have been there when Job said, my foot, chapter 23, my foot is held to God's steps. Neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. In a day when Hollywood mocks all that's holy. Musicians, please. In a day when people are rioting over the right to abort children, they're protesting. They're trying to make this election coming up about, never mind. They're prating in the streets celebrating their gender confusion and their gay pride, your righteousness. I'm telling you precious people that your righteousness still means everything to God. Your obedience to the word of God means everything to God. The devil wants me to believe that my giving and my sacrifice and my kindness has been in vain. The devil wants you to believe that your righteousness and service to God and your considerable contribution to his kingdom is a waste of time. But Eliaphaz was wrong about Job's righteousness and he's wrong about your righteousness and your walk with God, I'm telling you it means everything. So on this Sunday night, I say let's lift up our hands. Let's stand. Lift up our hands. Amen. And one more time, celebrate the fact that we're in the house of God and we're in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do not let... Do not rob yourself of your victory or blessings or peace because you don't realize who you are or what you mean to God. You mean everything to Jesus Christ. Beloved, now, now are you the sons of God and because you're a son of God, that gives you status with God. That gives you privilege with God. It's about 25 years ago uh, 26 maybe I had taken a church called Goodway up in Lock Station I had taken a taken a eh, a junk a junk room, cleaned it out made it my office you know put that I was so proud put that word pastor's office on the door and everybody that came in they'd, they'd knock first even my wife would give a courtesy knock 
before she came in. I said, baby, you don't have to knock. To you. you don't ever knock. You don't have to knock to come in. Well, you know. So I'm, I'm sitting at my desk getting ready, finishing out a few thoughts and notes for Sunday morning. And that door busted open. We had a little door stop there. That door busted open. I thought, who? I had my back to the who, who in the world? And I turned around to look at who had thrown that door open. The audacity of not knocking on my door coming in. Some little six-year-old kid walked into the room, walked over to the desk, took the lid off the peppermint jar, got a peppermint, said, Good morning, Dad. <laughs> you talk about walk-in privileges. That was bust-in privileges. And the Holy Ghost spoke to me and said, that's the access you have to my presence. You have access. I don't know what you brought in, what need you brought here tonight. I don't know what weight you're carrying, but I've come to remind you that you mean everything. Everything. So I'm inviting you together around this altar and lift up holy hands. Gentlemen, lift up holy hands unto the Lord without wrath and doubting. Eliaphaz was wrong. Amen. Your righteousness means everything. Ladies, I wonder if you'd come around this altar and worship God in the beauty of holiness. Come